Welcome to the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. I'm your host, Brooklyn, and I suffered from misophonia for more than 20 years before finally eliminating it through unconscious reprogramming using modalities like neuro-linguistic programming, hypnotherapy, rapid resolution therapy, and more. The goal of this podcast is sharing how unconscious reprogramming can help you lessen trigger sounds, alleviate suffering, and create more joy in your life. You deserve to do the things you love with the people you love uninterrupted. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have to admit, this is an episode I've wanted to record for a while, but I've been a little bit nervous to record because I know that there are going to be people who aren't a fan of what I'm going to say. And so I'm going to present this really delicately and I will present it in a way that isn't negating any techniques or modalities or things that you may try to cope with misophonia. It's not going to say that any of the things that anyone else is doing is wrong. It's just offering another perspective. I may have just scared everyone off, but what we're going to talk about today is we're going to cover a few things. We're going to talk about coping mechanisms and my maybe not too popular beliefs on coping mechanisms for misophonia. We're also going to talk about this idea that healing or transformation has to take years. You have to work at this for years to see any improvement in your misophonia. So those are the two things that we're really going to cover Today, we'll also dive a little bit into this idea that we need to first figure out why we have misophonia before we can do anything about it. So I guess we're covering three topics, right? Coping mechanisms, it has to take years to do anything about misophonia, and we need to first know why we're experiencing it before we can do anything about it, before we can experience relief. So I promise you, I'm going to present this in a way that's very respectful. So if you're like, I don't know, I'm not challenging your beliefs. I'm not challenging anyone's ideas or research or anything like that. I'm just providing a new perspective that you can consider. And I think the reason I'm a bit nervous to even start this is just because in our world today, things are so black and white. Things are so left or right, this way or that way. And we've kind of lost that ability to consider different perspectives, even when they're different from our own. And so my intention is literally just offering you this. And if you're like, yes, this resonates, that's amazing. If you're like, you know what, I've considered considered it, no, this doesn't vibe with me, that's okay too, right? We can engage in this dialogue. And so enough of all that, let's dive in. We're going to start with coping mechanisms, which again, that can be things like, so you hear a sound, you put in earplugs, you plug your ears, maybe you mimic the sound. If you have misokinesia, maybe you, like if someone's bouncing their leg, you mimic that. Maybe it's leaving the room. Maybe it's asking someone to stop. These are examples of coping mechanisms, right? And in the moment, coping mechanisms are so helpful. Like if you have a coworker next to you eating a crunchy bag of chips and then you pop in some earbuds and you play music, super helpful, right? Because now you can't hear them eating chips in that stress level goes down. It's like you've eliminated that threat. So in the moment, coping mechanism, amazing. Let's also go back to this idea, though, that misophonia is a developed pattern. 
There's actually a researcher. I'll, I'll put this in the show notes. I'll link to the, the, the study in the show notes. Show notes, but there's a researcher who proposes that anyone could develop misophonia if exposed to the pattern of sounds and they're associated with these things of fear, disgust, anger, whatever. Anyone can develop that pattern if in the right conditions or in the wrong conditions, I guess. It's kind of like the pattern that we have when we drive to work. You might take the same route to work every day. That's become a pattern or a program that your mind's developed to make your life easier so that you don't have to think about what street do I need to turn on? Do I turn after the first fire hydrant, after the second fire hydrant? Which parking spot do I park in? Your mind just generalizes all of this for you so you don't have to think about that each and every day. Just like your mind keeps your heart beating, your digestion, your respiration. We have these programs to make our lives easier. We don't have to think about taking a breath every single day, every second of every day. We just do it. So misophonia being a pattern, what's happening is you hear this sound, whistling, gum chewing, ice crunching, whatever. You hear this sound and then mind has a signal that goes off of, oh, this thing is dangerous for whatever reason. It doesn't matter why right now, right? We'll get to that later. But your mind is saying, oh, this thing is dangerous. And so it creates an emotion in you to get you to do something. It creates anger or fear or disgust to motivate you to then eliminate the threat. So the fear is motivating you to get up and leave the room. The disgust is motivating you to ask that person to stop. The anger is motivating you to plug your ears to mimic the sound. That's the pattern. And again, anyone can develop that pattern when they're exposed to sounds in a certain way and over time and whatever else, right? But that's the pattern. And so what happens is that we tend to avoid things that we find dangerous, just like in the wild. Zebras don't just saunter up to lions. They typically avoid them, right? Because they know they're dangerous. And the more we continue to avoid them, the more our mind processes that thing is dangerous. So for me personally, I, I definitely still have a bit of this, but I used to have a huge like medical anxiety, fear of all things medical. Like I won't go into detail in case you have this as well, but like I would freak out if I ever had to have blood work done or an IV or anything like that. Like I would be bawling, crying. I'd pass out getting my blood drawn, all this stuff, right? And so I would just avoid it. I remember when my IBS was really flaring up, they wanted me to get all these tests and I was like, absolutely not. I will not be doing that. In fact, I know this was, I think, shortly after my parents got divorced, I believe. And my dad took me to the doctor's office and they wanted me to, I think, get tests done and have my like an ultrasound and blood work or whatever. And so because my parents were divorced, (laughs) my dad dropped me off at my mom's house and then I took that paperwork, like the order to take to the hospital to get the tests done. And I threw it away. And I was like, oh, yeah, they just told me to like monitor this and that. Or I just made something up because I was so afraid. And so I just kept avoiding it for years and years and years until eventually my IBS got to a point where I could not ignore it. Like I had to do something about it. And so I ended up having to get all of these tests done, a HIDA scan, a colonoscopy, an endoscopy, CT scans. I mean, you name it. And so now rather than avoiding it, I I had to face it. I had to go do it. And each test that I did, each time I went in, it got a little bit easier each time. 
because now my mind was seeing, oh, this thing might be uncomfortable. It may not be our favorite thing, but we're not in danger. A CT scan's not going to kill me. A colonoscopy, very unlikely to kill me, right? Like this thing, it isn't actually dangerous. An IV, it doesn't actually hurt. Like it's fine. And so now, if for whatever reason I have tests ordered, I now make them right away. Like if someone's like, oh, you need blood work done? I'm like, let me schedule it. And I schedule it for the soonest appointment I can. Because I know the longer I wait and the more I avoid it, the more and more my mind's going to build up this idea that this thing is dangerous. And then eventually I'm probably not going to go. Or when I do go, I'm going to be way more anxious than I would have been if I had just gotten it done right then and there. And so with misophonia, this pattern, we hear this sound, we engage in this coping mechanism. What are we doing when that happens? We're reinforcing that these sounds are in fact dangerous. So that's why, you know, maybe as a kid, there were like four or five sounds that really bothered you. And now as an adult, there's like 30 plus. Because you're reaffirming to the mind that, yes, we need to be safe from these things. And so in the long run, in the moment, very effective. So I'm not saying, let me clarify, I'm not saying that you should not use coping mechanisms. They're very effective in the moment. And as you're doing this work to reprogram, they can be, you know, what keeps you going, right? Because you don't just want to sit there and listen to someone chewing gum, crunching chips, tapping their pen, whatever. I'm also not saying that these things are your fault either, right? Like, You relied on these coping mechanisms, you developed more coping mechanisms, and thus you made your misophonia worse. It's definitely not your fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's just what happened because that's all that we knew to do. Like, why wouldn't we find better coping mechanisms? That's what we had to survive. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't use them. They're very effective and they can be life-saving and helpful. What I'm suggesting is that rather than invest more time, energy, money, into, in quote, better coping mechanisms, what if we shift that time, energy, money into programs and modalities that actually rewire the pattern at the root? So it's like ripping out the root, planting a new seed, right? So you're taking out, right? You're uninstalling that software and you're installing something that's more useful. Kind of like if you are driving home one day, your usual route home from work and there's construction, and it's closed that main road, well, what are you going to do? You're not just going to like, your car's not going to grow wings and fly over the construction site to the other side. You're going to have to choose another way home. You're interrupting that pattern, and you're installing a new route that's going to get you home because just driving through the construction isn't very useful. So again, coping mechanisms in the moment, great. But developing and relying on them more and more can actually lead to a heightened fear, anger, disgust in response to these sounds because we're reaffirming that pattern. So my suggestion is just take that time, that energy, that money. So all those Facebook groups that you're in and you're asking people for help or you're giving advice, right? The money that you're investing in like some new fancy set of earplugs or whatever it is, take that time, take that money, take that energy and invest it into people who are working to help you actually rewire that pattern. And this is not an advertisement for myself to work with me. Yes, I can help you do that, but there are a lot of people and resources who are working to do this. So for example, I have not done this myself, but I've heard that people have had good experiences with it. There is, 
let me make sure I say this correctly, SRT, sequent repattering therapy, which is for people with misophonia. There are things like hypnosis. There's rapid resolution therapy. I use that in my coaching, but there are also rapid resolution therapists or rapid resolution uh, facilitators, practitioners, and some of them are actually able to take insurance because they're also licensed counselors and therapists, and so you can meet with them for just a copay. So the amount that you might spend on a new fancy pair of earplugs, you can be meeting with them, right? And so again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest in these things, that you shouldn't use them. I'm just saying maybe once we have these coping mechanisms in place and we can rely on them, now it's time to shift and spend that money, that energy, that focus, that time into something that's actually rewiring the pattern so that then you don't even need those coping mechanisms because we've broken up that pattern and we've installed something new that's going to be more useful for you moving forward. So that's what I wanted to say on coping mechanisms But let's also, like I said, let's dive into this idea that it has to take years and years for you to see results. So for example, when I first started posting on Instagram about how I was able to clear up my misophonia, to this day I would put it at like a 0.5 out of 5, I had people who were posting things. And so they saw my Instagram and they went to these Facebook groups that I was also in and they were posting things like, oh, there's this person on Instagram who claimed to cure. Now, again, I've never, never claimed to cure, never claimed to cure anybody or myself or anything like that. This is their words. There was somebody who was claiming to cure it in just a few months. And people were, people were skeptical. That's the word I'm looking for because they, one, were like, oh, well, real, like, people who are actual, you know, coaches or practitioners or whatever, they don't post on Instagram. So there was a bit of skepticism because it was happening on social media. But there was also skepticism of, well, it, nobody can clear this up in a, in a month or two months or three months or whatever. That's just not possible. It takes years. I've been working at this for 20 years. The thing is, I didn't just magically in two months clear up my misophonia. For the record, had it for over 20 years, right? I've been dealing with it since childhood. So I've already put in the time, the years suffering from this thing before I got to a place where I cleared it. So it wasn't just like a magical, like two, three, four sessions, right? I'd been putting in the work. I'd been studying. I'd been applying all these different modalities. I was meeting with therapists and practitioners and and practicing these different modalities for years. However, Once I found, once I put in that time, put in that research, put in those years, once I found the modalities that actually worked, then I saw that progress really quickly. But years of work went into it. A lot of money went into that, a lot of time, a lot of effort. So yes, when I found the right tools, it happened quickly, but there was a lot of work that went into that. Also, let me ask you this though. If I told you that I had a magic wand, or let's, let's say it a little bit differently. I had a magic program that could just completely like eliminate your misophonia 100%. It's totally gone. It's 100% guaranteed certain. Would you rather that program be four weeks long and you see that transformation in four weeks? Or would you rather that program be four years long and it takes four years? 
probably four weeks, right? Because it's guaranteed you know what's going to happen regardless. You probably want that relief in the shortest amount of time. So this idea that healing has to take years and years and years, well, you've already put in the years and years and years. If you're listening to this, you've probably had misophonia for a while. Maybe you just discovered what it's called, but you've been dealing with the sound sensitivity for a long time. You've already put in the years. You've already tried lots of stuff. It doesn't have to continue to take you years and years and years. It's just about finding the right modality, the right tools that work for you. And of course, people respond differently to different modalities. So yeah, there is some trial and error trying and, and okay, this thing doesn't work or it helped a little, but not a lot. I'm going to try the next thing. This thing helped even more. Okay, I try this. This didn't help at all. So I'm not going to do that again. There's definitely trial and error. But when you find the right thing, don't be surprised when that progress happens really fast because you've already put in the time. You've already put in the years. When you find what works, it can happen really quickly. Now, the last thing I want to cover today is this idea that in order to make any progress with misophonia, we first have to understand why we have it. I believe I've said this before in a previous podcast. I am very thankful that there are people studying this and who do want to figure out the root cause and understand why it's happening, why some people develop the pattern and others don't. I'm a huge fan of that, and I'm so glad there's people studying it. Also, me personally, I don't care why I had misophonia and why my sister didn't or doesn't, right? I don't care. That's not important to me because figuring out why I have it and my sister doesn't, that's not useful to me. What's going to be most valuable for me in my life is to figure out how to stop having these intense reactions to these sounds. How can I experience relief? So imagine that you are, there's this sidewalk in this major city and there's this huge like pothole gap, whatever you want to call it, in the sidewalk and people are getting seriously hurt. They're tripping, they're falling into it, they're breaking bones, like this is a real problem. But the city is like, well, you know, we really want to figure out the philosophy of the pothole first. I think I've also given this example in another podcast. We really want to figure out why is the pothole there? How likely is it that it's going to get bigger? You know, where did it come from? Was there something in the pothole's childhood that caused it to get this big and cause this much damage? Like, what's going on here? Meanwhile, people are falling into the pothole and getting hurt. So is it more important to figure out why it's there? Or is it more useful to fill in that gap, fill in that pothole, fix the sidewalk first? And then... If it's useful, then we can go back, right? And figure out, okay, how did it get there? Whatever. How can we prevent more from happening? Whatever we want to do. Same thing for me and with my clients with misophonia. It doesn't matter to me why you have it and why your mom, your brother, your sister, some other random stranger doesn't have it. The fact of the matter is you have it. Now let's do something about it. So that's my focus. Again, I am so thankful there are people getting to the bottom of that. That makes me very happy, and I think it will be useful and valuable information. For me as a coach, though, my priority is helping people feel better, suffer less. That's what is important to me. And then once we're experiencing that relief, then we can dive into, okay, maybe there is something in my childhood that caused this. Maybe I was exposed to certain things. I don't know. Maybe I have some more trauma to clear up. Who knows? But it's going to be a lot easier 
Now, granted, there are people out here studying this who don't have misophonia, so they don't have to worry about this, right? But it's going to be a lot easier for you to do the work to get relief, right? Or excuse me, it's going to be easier for you to get relief and then do the work of uncovering why once you're no longer triggered. If you're still actively triggered and you are having all of these thoughts about other people and yourself and what it means, and you're also trying to figure out where it came from, it's going to make that a lot more difficult because you're suffering as you're trying to do this. But if you can clear up that suffering, you can experience that relief, then it's going to be easier to ask those questions, to answer those questions, to dive deeper and be able to do that work. And so for me, it's not that I don't care about why misophonia is, why we have it. It's just that my focus personally, because I can't do everything, right? And also I'm not a researcher. That's not my, my place. I can't do everything. And so my focus is going to be on helping myself and others feel better, suffer less, create more joy in our lives. You don't have people who, let's say someone's like shot in the leg, for example, they don't rush that person to the hospital, to the ER, and then before they help them, they're like, well, 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 wait, what did the person look like? What kind of gun was it? What kind of ammo? What kind of bullets? Were you dating this person? Did this person have a grudge against you? Do you know anybody else who might want to hurt you? No, they're going to treat that patient. And then the cops might come into the room and say, okay, we need to have an interview. We need to talk to you. Tell us what you know. But in the moment, right, they're going to clean up that wound. They're going to help this person feel better. Then they'll try to figure out the mystery of who shot you or what happened. So again, that's just my thought on that. That's why I focus on not necessarily why it's happened. I don't dive into the research or the studies because for me, I've seen results for myself. I've seen results for my clients. I want more of that. And then it's easier to then go back, do that work, and and dive in a little bit deeper. So that's all I had for the podcast today. We are in going into, at the time of recording this, by the time it comes out, we'll be getting to the end of the group program. We're in our first round now. We have four amazing people in this first round of the Rewire Misophonia at the Source group coaching program, and we're going to be launching another round soon. So if you want to learn more about that, go to the show notes. The link to the wait list will be in there. There'll also be a link to a form that you can fill out to do one-on-one coaching with me. And of course, make sure you follow me on Instagram over at Brooklyn Dish, also in the show notes. Make sure you leave a review, all that good stuff, and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you.